you know, by the time you get home and, uh, you know, the, your muscles, you know, uh, heal up and the mosquito bites are gone, you know, you, you tend to forget the negative and remember the, the good stuff. And so uh, typically when people say, well, what's your favorite trip? I would say my, my most recent trip is my favorite trip. J.R. Harris is incredibly unique for a number of reasons. First of all, he is born and raised in New York City, and for over 50 years has used New York City as a launching pad for his incredibly remote wilderness adventures. I'm talking like the bush of Alaska, the Andes, the Himalayas, places all over the world that people hardly ever go, especially folks from New York. J.R. has been able to live these two lives uh, pretty flawlessly, For the last literally over 50 years, he's in his 70s now and still doing adventures and still going to work every day. And speaking of work, he owns and operates the oldest black-owned marketing, uh, consulting, and research company in the U.S., JRH Marketing Services. And like I said, he's black, so that's another way that kind of makes him unique because, you know, 50 years ago, doing adventures, especially as someone who was black from New York City, was just almost unheard of. And in fact, he's going to tell us a story about his very first trip where he, uh, early college, decided to drive to Alaska in the 60s um, just to see how far he could go. Drove as far as he can down the Alaska Highway, well into the Alaskan bush, turned around and came back, had about 35 cents to his name in the 60s as a black 20-year-old pretty remarkable. And the things he's been able to do since are incredible. And if you'd like to learn more, I definitely encourage you to check out his book, Way Out There, Adventures of a Wilderness Trekker. And you can find that at jrinthewilderness.com. And this episode's from a few years ago. So I just wanted to play it again for Throwback Thursday episode this week. We should have him back on again soon. Talk about some of his other adventures. Talk about some of these maybe in more depth. Uh, but before we get to this episode, I wanted to make you aware of, of one of our sponsors, which is therestorationdepot.com. If you're looking for you know a positive, friendly, fun, virtual community to be a part of that's always learning new things and has a lot of classes that you can learn from, definitely check out therestorationdepot.com. Uh, it's just this online platform that allows you to choose from all these different classes. Very affordable, but it but it teaches you a lot of things like yoga, tai chi. You can learn about essential oils. You can you can be better at music, um, different instruments, and so much more. Uh, everything from very active things to more um, just just lessons, think, learning about things. So if you're interested in learning from some of those classes, go to therestorationdepot.com. And your very first class can be just $5 by selecting First Class Special at checkout. So if you're looking for that active, fun, engaging online community, I definitely encourage you to check that out. Until then, enjoy this episode. All right, everyone. So welcome to today's episode. I hope you had uh, a good weekend, good week. Today we have a really, really interesting guest. I'm super excited to interview him. He's been on over 50 multi-week treks since 1966. That's over 50 years of adventures. And a lot of those have been alone and they've all been self-supported or unsupported. He's a member of the Explorers Club a uh, lifelong resident of New York City, and he's the founder and the president of uh, JRH Marketing Services, which is the oldest African-American-owned research and consulting firm in the U.S., uh, and he's the author of Way Out There, Adventures of Wilderness Trekker, and his name is J. Robert Harris. Mr. Harris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for including me here. I'm really, uh, really excited to talk to you. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this. This is awesome. You're, uh, you know, I, I, I'd heard about your book, uh, uh, earlier last year and I hadn't had a chance to read it yet, but I, I, I knew immediately like, man, I'd love to have him on the show at some point. Um, and you say you're coming from New York city today, right? Yep. New York city, big uh, apple. Oh man. How's the weather? Oh, uh, well, uh, not too bad. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's cold. But uh, sun is shining, 
you know, and uh, I'd say it's pretty good for January. And so, you know, you, you, you're a lifelong resident in New York City, but you are hugely experienced in the outdoors. Um, why don't you tell us, and you're, like you said, you're a lifelong, lifelong resident. What's your background? Where are you from? And how did you get introduced to the outdoors? Well, uh, first of all, <clears throat> when I say I'm a lifelong resident, uh, I actually, my, my family moved here. My parents moved here when I was one year old. So I wasn't actually born in New York City, but it's the only place I've ever really uh, known. I've been living here uh, again since I was uh, one year old, back when dinosaurs ruled the earth. <laughs> and uh, grew up here in the city. I was a typical city kid. Uh, my family uh, lived in a housing project. My, <clears throat> my dad was a truck driver. My mother was a homemaker. You know, when, by the time I got to be a teenager, they were a little concerned about growing up uh, in the projects and city housing. Back in those days, uh, you know, we had uh, gang warfare so, like we do today, still, uh, still out there. And uh, <clears throat> my parents were eager to try to get me away from that environment. Uh, and so they thought that the, the way to do it was to sign me up in the Boy Scouts, which, of course, I didn't really want to do. Uh, none of my friends were in it, really. You know, Boy Scouts back in the late 50s, early 60s was not, you know, what you wanted to be in if you were in growing up in projects. And, uh, you know, so I took a bit of, um, and I took a bit of uh, hazing from my friends. But my folks said, well, you're going to go away to summer camp up in the mountains, up in the Catskill Mountains. And of course, I didn't want to do that either. Uh, but once I got there, everything changed. I wasn't used to trees and grass and and all the outdoors. I wasn't used to seeing so many stars in the sky at night, so much sky at all during the daytime. You know, they they taught us how to use a knife and an axe and how to pitch a tent and how to make a fire in, in the middle of a thunderstorm and how to track animals and tie knots and all, you know, all this good stuff. I really went for it. You know, I really, really liked it. And two things happened. Number one, I learned to to appreciate the outdoors and to respect nature. And number two, of course, I learned a lot of new skills that I didn't use, you know, when I got back home, but was a real confidence builder at that stage when I was an early teen. And I went back to scout camp for the next, geez, three, four, maybe even five years after that, and really, uh, really enjoyed it. I actually got to look forward to it. And so that's how I got uh, introduced to the outdoors and to trekking and uh, all that good stuff. Wow. They had the Boy Scouts. Wow. That is so crazy, man, because it's probably a hard place to have a, a troop in New York City. And how insightful <laughs> of your parents to say, you're going to do this, something that's kind of out of the box, probably especially for uh, your friends and, and the people you're around, just to say, hey, you're going to do this thing that's going to take you so far out of your comfort zone. But man, your your parents must have really, I mean, that's a very wise decision on their end. Well, that's what they always said. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, I think uh, <laughs> after 50 years, you'd agree with them, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. I I never would have done it on my own. I don't think I ever would have been exposed to uh, to the wilderness or even to the forest, for that matter, uh, had I not um, had I not been in the scouts. I certainly wouldn't have learned uh, a lot of skills that I that I'd be using for the next 50 years as I went on treks all around the world. So, uh, yeah, they, uh, they made some, that was just one of the many wise decisions my parents made and probably one of the many wise decisions they made that at first I didn't think was so wise, but I didn't really agree with. It all turned out well, very well. That is so cool. And, and so after the scouts, mm -hmm. you know, you says you started your career essentially in 1966. What happened then? What did you do that officially kicked off your adventure career? Well, 1966 was the uh, year that I graduated from college. I was 20 years old, uh, first one in my family with a college degree or even a high school uh, uh, education. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And uh, I, I decided I needed to get away someplace uh, just to, you know, just to, to get away from the stress I had for four years of trying to earn a degree and working at night. And so I, I had a, 
a used Volkswagen, a beat up uh, Volkswagen Beetle. And I looked at a map and I said, uh, well, what's the northernmost uh, road? Where's the farthest north you can drive in, in all of North America? And it turned out to be uh, 120 miles north of Fairbanks, Alaska, a town called Circle, Circle, Alaska. Back in 1966, you could not drive farther north than that. And so I said to myself, well, if I was to drive all the way up there and drive all the way to the end of that road, I would be the northernmost car in all of North America, Canada, US, Mexico, every vehicle would be behind me and there would be no vehicles in front of me from, from where I was all the way to the North Pole. And for that crazy reason, I jumped in my car and I drove up there. And uh, along the way, um, <clears throat> when I got into the Yukon Territory, especially, and I could see all the mountains and the wilderness in the back, and I I, I really had the urge, the longing to to leave my car and be able to go back into those mountains, you know, uh, and see what those valleys were like, those hidden valleys behind the first uh, range of mountains, to see what kind of wildlife was there, to see what it was like just to live there. Of course, I, back then I had no backpack or anything like that, but I did have uh, all the memories from the scouts and I, I still had some of the skills. And I said, you know, this trip that I'm on right now is really epic, but when I get back home, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get myself some new gear and I'm going to go back out and start backpacking again. So uh, that's really um, uh, how the whole thing started. I had, when, I, when I finished with the Boy Scouts, I didn't do much hiking after that until I finished, finished college. But once I came back from Alaska, and, and back in 1966, now Alaska... Uh, had only been a state for like a couple of years. It's hardly anybody living there. Wow. They hadn't discovered any oil there yet. Uh, and it was just a big open wilderness. They used to call it the last frontier. Uh, and that's that's pretty much what it was. It's a long drive. Dang, man. That is, dude, when I was, uh, my first adventure was also in Alaska, starting in Fairbanks. Whoa. And I was 20 years old as well. And uh, <laughs> But I wasn't alone. I was with my best friend. And we were riding bikes, but uh, I'll have to say, man, and I'm from the East Coast too. I'm from Florida though, the other side, uh-huh. but man, uh, it was terrifying for me at 20 years old. I still had a couple years left, um, uh-huh. but that was in 2011, man. What, what about 1966 <laughs> by yourself? I guarantee there was a bunch of gravel road on your way up there too, because it, it's, it's not even all paved now. That's right. I did. I did about uh, 2,500 miles from New York City to Dawson Creek. Then I had another 1,523 miles from there to Fairbanks, and none of it was paved. Oh, well, my you know, once you got back to the uh, the Alaska border, uh, it was paved. The last 300 miles into Fairbanks was paved. But yeah, there was uh, very few towns back then. Uh, very few places to get gasoline. There was no place that you would want to break down in your car because there was no AAA or anybody to come out and get you. Um, I had very little money. I had never been uh, out of the States. I, you know, my first time in Canada and I drove all the way across. And it was, uh, it was a real adventure. It was, it was tough, but it was great. What did people say when you told them, especially like family <laughs> or people around you, and you said, I'm going to do this? Because that, that sounds crazy. That's what they told me. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> uh, well, you know, um, back in back then, nobody went to Alaska. You know, Alaska was just a place that was just so far away. You know, you couldn't even envision it. You know, this was a time before there was a Discovery Channel or a National Geographic Channel. Uh, the news out of Alaska, you hardly heard anything. It was a place where people who you know wanted to run away from civilization went. You know, prospectors. And people who were uh, having trouble uh, at home and just wanted to get away. Uh, and so it had this kind of uh, really hard scrabble, you know, backcountry, off the grid reputation. And so when I said I wanted to go there, and especially, you know, because I didn't know anybody there and nobody I knew had ever even been there. And I had a used car uh, and very little money. So, you know, my, actually my parents were down with it, you know, my dad being a truck driver, he's the one who taught me how to shift and I had a a Volkswagen shift car. So he kind of liked that. 
And uh, my mother, you know, she was <clears throat> she was up for it as well. You know, she said she was she, she liked that her kids had some kind of adventure, you know, uh, spirit in them. And so they were very supportive. But, you know, some of my friends, they thought it was, some of them thought it was kind of cool, actually, but none of them would want to do it. And a lot of them thought it was just ridiculous that it was crazy. I must have to give a shameless plug here to say that the first chapter in my book tells this entire story and all of the crazy, hilarious, difficult, uh, exciting things that happened on that trip because uh, it was definitely, definitely an adventure. Uh, yeah. I, and honestly, you know, I know a lot of your trips now are backpacking and trekking and, and, and through hiking. But but to me, this just seems like this this kicked it all off, not only because it was the first, but because of just how much stinking like courage and and uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a complete adventure. It has every ingredient from not even knowing what Alaska really looked like to right. being completely alone and. Oh man, it just sounds incredible. Yeah, this was before before the internet, before uh, you could get any information about anything. Uh, I remember, for example, I didn't know what kind of clothing to bring, you know, but I knew that Alaska was way up north, and so I packed all these winter clothes, even though it was um, the end of June. You know, I didn't know that Alaska in the summer can get very hot, and uh, so here I had <laughs> tons of sweaters and scarves and and heavy coats and hats and boots that I never even wore because there was just no way to really check the weather and so that was my assumption that is unbelievable <laughs> man and you know that's when I was I was up there in May um when I started my trip and it's funny you say that not knowing what to wear and we had the internet and everything but in May in Florida it's like 100 degrees already <laughs> up there all all I had for warm clothes was uh, we both, my buddy and I played basketball together. So we both had basketball jumpsuits for warmups. Oh, we wow. wore our warmup suits. So the long pants and the, and the right, windbreaker right. shirt that matched. And that's right. what we wore out in this. And it was snowing. It was snowing all, all the way through May until June. Wow. And uh, we were so unprepared. So, man, I just, I love this. I love this first trip, how crazy it was. Because that's, oh my goodness. Yeah, that was insane. Ago, man, that's a tough time to be going somewhere, traveling alone like that. I mean, things weren't really settled in the States. Yeah, you know, and you're funny you mention that because uh, what I did is I left New York City and I drove straight up to Canada, up through New York State. And then my idea was to cross the border into Canada and then drive west all the way across Canada to the west and then head north up to Alaska. So when I got to northern uh, New York State and I first crossed the border into Canada, the customs agent there uh, said, you know, how far are you going? And I said, uh, oh, I'm going to Alaska. And the guy says, the guy didn't believe me. So he thought I was running away from New York because that was during the Vietnam War. And a lot of people my age, 20 years old, were being drafted into the war. And they were, they were escaping up to Canada so they wouldn't be drafted. And he thought I, I was one of them. And I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm driving through, but then I'm going to be coming back out in Alaska again. And he said, yeah, yeah, okay, right. But, you know, you may have trouble finding a job. You know, you may have trouble uh, finding a place to live up here. I said, no, 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 I'm going all the way through. And he said, yeah, okay, yeah, buddy, have a good trip. <laughs> Jeez, man, man, what an adventure. That's so awesome. So, so when you got back, what was that like? What was it like to return to New York City? I'm sure your I'm sure your mind was just mush trying to comprehend everything. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a photo that uh, was taken of me uh, the day I got back. I'm sitting on the back fender of my car, and I'm holding up in in uh, in my hand. In each hand, I had a quarter in one hand and a dime in the other hand. I got back home. I had thirty five cents left, and uh, and actually, I actually still have that very same quarter and dime. I saved it all these years, uh, and I have it not too far from where I'm sitting right here. But yeah, when I when I got back home, I was a different person. You know, I I'd had more experiences in in those weeks that I was gone than a lot of other people have in their whole life. You know, it 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 took a while to process it all because it wasn't until I got back home and then I could sit down and really think about. Uh, all the things that I've seen, the people that I met, the things that I did, think about, uh, you know, how crazy it was, because 
it was really an impulse trip. You know, once I decided to go, I probably left a week later. You know, I just threw some stuff in the car and, and scraped together maybe 150 bucks. And, and that was it. And so when I got back home, it was good. You know, I, and, and it actually set a precedent for me because I, I sat down. One of the things I did is I sat down and I wrote a journal. I wrote a story about the trip so that I would always remember all the details of, of what happened so that years later, um, I'd be able to, to look at that journal and bring back all those memories. I also took photos while I was there. But uh, in all the trips that I've taken in the, in the whole 50 plus years since then, I always wrote a journal. And, you know, I said to myself in the old days, yeah, write this journal so you remember all these details. And so that when you get to be an old man, you know, like when you're 50, <laughs> you know, you could sit in your rocking chair and read all these stories, you know. And then I got to be 50 years old and I was still backpacking. You know, then I got to be 55. Then I got to be 60. Then I got to be 65. Then I got to be 70. You know, I'm still taking trips and still writing journals. Uh, but I'm really glad that I uh, uh, I started writing those those journals because now when I read them, it not only brings back all of the uh, details of what happened on these trips, but reading it is a is a reflection of the person I was back in the day, back in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, I could tell just by by what I wrote and how I wrote it who I was back then, and it's it's really exciting to not only read about the adventures themselves, but also to reflect on on how far I've come since since some of those trips back in the day. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice, and I and I I, uh, I endorse that too. It's it's not easy, you know, at the end of a long day of trekking, uh, but if something interesting happens or if nothing happens at all. If you can take a few minutes at the end of the day or the end of the week and just write down some things, you'll be so amazed by, you know, what you forget in a pretty short amount of time and how quickly when you read those words, how quickly it not only reframes those memories and and puts them back together, but the things that surrounded it as well that I didn't even write down, like, oh, I remember that. And then because of I remember that, I now remember this person that I met. I didn't even write that down, but all it brings back so much. That is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, it puts you back in the moment back then. And you're, you're so right. Even the stuff that you didn't write down, you begin to um, remember incidents, people, little details that, that you didn't think about that much when you were writing the journal. But um, in retrospect, as you look back, it, it has more meaning. And, and I'll actually go back when I read one of these uh, journals. And if I get an insight or a memory of something that isn't in there, I'll actually put it in that journal. Uh, wow. Even though I may have written that journal 20, 30 years ago. That's a great idea. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy I did it. You know, uh, the journals are what I use to write the book, although the journals are not, you know, the book is not cut and paste from the journals. Each, each chapter tells a story. Uh, I relied on the journal for the details and, um, and for the memories. I, I looked at the journal. I read the journals. I looked at the photos. And I have a uh, – the other thing I did is – all my topo maps from all my trips, every campsite uh, that I make, I, re- I indicate it on a topo map. So you could ask me 25, 30 years ago on a given night where I was, and I could tell you exactly what campsite, exactly where I was, somewhere in the world, camped alongside a lake or in a forest or up in the mountains. Um, so I have all that detail as well. That's unbelievable, man. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone into that detail, but uh I do admire that level of discipline because uh it's so valuable looking back on. I can't yeah, I can't I can't recommend it enough. If anyone out there is getting ready to do a trip, please 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 write it down, record stuff, both do something to make sure something. you can look back in a year, in 10 years, in 50 years to just to to remind yourself the feelings it brings up, man. It's such good, such a good thing to bring perspective and and uh oh it's just awesome it's what life's about yes. man so so, after so happy. This, uh, yeah it makes you makes you fizz yeah literally makes you happy it's awesome so so you know you you do this big trip to alaska you get back you're back in the city um you know i, I assume now you gotta start working start right start with responsibilities um right. but you did everything but stop you absolutely did not stop going 
outside and doing trips. So, so what did that look like from then? What, what was your next trip? And uh, what did you start building your life like after that? Well, when I got back home, uh, you're right. I had to, uh, I had to get a job, had to be uh, responsible, yeah. you know? Yeah. You can't live uh, on 35 cents for too long. In New yeah. York, <laughs> even in 1966, <laughs> uh, I had to get out and get a, I had to get out and get a job. I, I actually became a, uh, uh, a taxi driver in New York city. I went and got a taxi license and I drove a, I drove a cab at night. Um, I had a lot of jobs back then, but, uh, at the same time, I wanted to go back out, you know, I wanted to, to go back into the, uh, uh, back country, get away from the city. And so I bought myself a, uh, some basic gear, you know, I, I got myself a, a little tent and a sleeping bag, backpack, you know, and I would start going out, you know, on the weekends, you know, and, and I would go maybe up in the uh, Catskill mountains, only like two, two and a half hours from here. And then, uh, as time went on, I would go, you know, um, a weekend trip became a long weekend, and then it became a week, and then a week became two weeks, and then two weeks became three weeks, et cetera. And then, you know, the, the Catskills became the Adirondacks, and then the Adirondacks became the Rocky Mountains, and then the Rockies became uh, the Andes, and then the Alps, and then, you know, it just, it just branched out from there. And so with work, you, you made these trips a priority. Now, how often do you do them once a year? twice a year? What was your goal or did it change over time? Well, um, you know, fast forward from 1966 to 1975, nine years later, after I'd been uh, uh, working uh, at some pretty good jobs that I got as a, a researcher in social sciences, I have a degree in psychology. And then in 1975 is when I decided to start my own business. And so I started a, a market research and consulting firm. At first, it was just me and I did it with my my kid brother who was just graduating from college. He was uh, nine years younger than me, and I uh, I started out uh, working in my own business. Uh, obviously, the first people in my family ever had their own business. But I made a decision right from the beginning. You know, I'd heard stories about people who went into business on their own and they they did nothing but work day and night, weekends, you know, year in and year out, and they never took a vacation. And when they finally got you know, to to a point where they, they felt comfortable leaving the business, you know, like 20 years later and finally taking a vacation, they were sorry that they hadn't done it sooner. And so I made a decision right from the beginning that I wasn't going to do that, that I, I was going to work really hard, you know, uh, as hard as I could. But every single year I was going to go away and I was going to take at least one trip. I wasn't going to wait, you know, five years, 10 years or whatever and so uh, from the very beginning, I started to, uh, you know, I, I, to, to actually leave the business. My, my brother could run it fine. And it was great because I could disappear. You know, back in those days, there was no cell phone. There was no satellite phone. There's no communication. I was totally disconnected from the, from the world for a couple of weeks. But I didn't have to worry about it. You know, I, I didn't have to call in. I didn't have to wonder what was going on with the business because I knew that my brother was there. And that turned out to be fantastic. Uh, you know, I would come home from my trip and then I would be there while he, you know, took off and went somewhere wherever he went. Of course, he didn't go in the wilderness. You know, he was he would go to the south of France and drink martinis or something like that, <laughs> which is cool, which is cool. <laughs> but that's what I wanted to do. And so uh, by 1975, you know, uh, I had some decent gear. You know, uh, I'd been on some some trips, uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the shorter trips, the weekend trips, the, the week long trips. And um, I could now, you know, because I had a couple of extra dollars in my pocket, I could expand my horizons and uh, start to create, you know, this kind of a bucket list of trips that I wanted to do and start knocking them off. You know, uh, I also traveled a lot for business. Uh, my clients were, were worldwide. They were all over the world. And so I had a lot of frequent flyer miles. And so when I did take off on my own, I had, uh, you know, at least free airfare, which was the biggest a uh, single expense on these trips is getting overseas to where you're going and getting back. And so uh, so it all actually worked out fine. And I do one or two trips a year for average maybe three weeks, some of them a little shorter, uh, some of them a bit longer. And I've done a trip, uh, I think every single year since then, I've done at least one trip, uh, except for one trip when there was sickness in the family and I didn't go away. 
So that's uh, I've got a lot of chips there. Wow. So so are you happy with the formula that you built? Do you wish you'd have done it even more freaking, or you or was that pretty fulfilling to do it once to twice a year? Uh, no, I was fine doing it once or twice a year. You know, I <clears throat> by this time I also had a family. Um, I had two kids, uh, and so uh, and I do love like being in New York City. I love this city. You know, I still do. Um, and so, you know, getting uh, doing these trips wasn't about trying to getting away from all the hustle and bustle. I mean, it wasn't really that. You know, it was because I actually wanted to go there. But I had a life back here, and I liked that life. And so, to me, it was a perfect balance, really. I was I was home when I was home, and I, I was away when I was away. And, um, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change it at all. You know, now I'm in a couple of uh, months, I'll be 75. I'm still doing these trips. And now I actually have more time. So I'll be doing maybe two, three trips a year. And I figure, you know, at this stage, I got maybe <laughs> another 25, 30 years <laughs> of trekking that I can do. So it's just really a matter of finding a place to go. Yeah, you're you're not gonna run out of cool places to go. You, I mean, you've been all no. over, and you've been all over, man. Is it hard to come back to New York City? I mean, those are like you spend a you know you spend a week on, uh, you know down in down in Patagonia, and come back to the bustling city. Is that <laughs> is that tough for you? Do you ever wish like, dang, I gotta get out of this place? <laughs> well, I I agree with you. It's two, you know, I'm living two totally different lifestyles. I, they couldn't be more different. They couldn't, couldn't be, be more different, different. No. from New York City to, you know, going someplace so remote that you don't see anybody. You literally don't see anybody for a week, 10 days, maybe more. You know, it couldn't be more different. I used to have a bit of a, an adjustment problem, if you want to call it that, <clears throat> going from one to the other. The, the initial adjustment was more about when I left home and, and went away and it took me, you know, a day or two to get used to carrying a pack and sleeping on the ground and using a map and walking all day and uh, getting rained on and snowed on and just like that. And then uh, after a while, you know, the when I got used to that uh, that outdoor living and being uh, being alone and and on these solitary trips, then when I get back to New York, uh, there was kind of an adjustment just because there were just so many people and and everything seemed so loud. The traffic was so loud. It seemed like and. Um, everything was moving so quickly. And so even though I, I grew up here and I was used to it, when you're away for, for weeks at a time, you know, you settle into that lifestyle. And then when you come back and suddenly, um, you know, you're thrust back into your, your other life. But uh, at this stage now, it isn't an adjustment anymore. You know, uh, when I go away, I'm looking forward to being out there. And uh, when I come back, you know, I'm happy that I've been out there. And I'm I'm cool with being back home. And so, you know, to to be honest with you, I'm living a dream, you know, and I've been living that dream for many, many years. And I'm really grateful for it. That's a that's an envious uh life to live, man. I'm I've looked through your pictures on your uh your website slideshow that just scrolls post after post and it's just man, glorious places, man. Anybody, do you have anyone you can relate with back home that you share these experiences with that you're like, man, you know, I want to do this place. Yeah, I don't know. Just some, some, some common, some common grounds with some people you're close to. Or are you still kind of a black sheep to everybody, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a pun? <laughs> black sheep? No, never mind. <laughs> oh um, my goodness. Oh my goodness. The thing is, you know, years ago, all my trips were not solo. Um, I had... I had some friends who actually liked backpacking. Not a lot of them. In fact, in my whole life, uh, there may be nine or ten people that I've ever been out with, and that that was mostly way back then. And that was mostly because it's tough to, um, you know, you would have to leave your work. You have to, you know, if you get two or three weeks off from your job, you know, did you want to spend it with me? You know, in the middle of nowhere, especially if you had a family, right? Right. Uh, you know, did you want to go through all that expense to, to go somewhere around the world? You know, are you in good enough shape? You know, that you know, have you been working out all year long so that you can take a trip like that? You know, and and back in the day, every every couple of years there would be somebody who would say, "Yeah, I'll go." But you know, eventually life, you know, is different for everybody, and uh, they had other responsibilities, and so um, it got to a point where you know I just started going by myself which which is totally fine with me. 
but now to your to your question when i when i come back uh these people that i i used to go out with are still friends of mine and they're always curious and eager to find out what the trip was like and you know we'll get together and and spread some maps out on a table and uh you know look at some slides and, and photos and that's cool but you know the bottom line is that that these trips became kind of kind of personal for me and uh, I guess maybe because I'm kind of a loner, I uh, I didn't I wasn't that eager to come back and tell everybody all the things that I did and show everybody photos and things like that. I mean, I'm certainly willing to do it um, if somebody's curious about it. But it was always fine with me that that these trips were really just for me. It was kind of a way of getting away. I was fascinated by how much I was learning about myself when I was out there alone how I was handling different situations, how I was making decisions, how I was making adjustments to his different lifestyle, um, how I was handling emotions like fear and being cold and sleeping on the ground. And it's, it's been a tremendous influence on me as a person. And, and that's why it became kind of a, a personal thing. And so when I came home, I was uh, really uh, happy to be back. Everybody said, well, you look great. You know, you you don't look like you spent the last the month, you know, in the middle of nowhere. You know, you're smiling, you're happy. And that was really enough for me. So, so what, what's been some of your, uh, maybe just a couple of your favorite places? Whoa. Um, you know, I, a lot of people ask me that and I, and I still don't have a standard answer. Yeah. Because uh, every, every trip is different, as you probably know. Hmm. And even... You know, even if the trip is a bad trip, you know, even if the trip, you know, was all bad weather and hard hiking and and all that, you know, by the time you get home and, uh, you know, the, your muscles, you know, uh, heal up and the mosquito bites are gone, you know, you, you tend to forget the negative and remember the, the good stuff. And so uh, typically when people say, well, what's your favorite trip? I would say my, my most recent trip is my favorite trip. A good answer, but you know, as, as I look back, I I don't know. I like Alaska. You know, I I've been to Gates of the Arctic, uh, the big national park up there, three different times on three different wild rivers, three different valleys. I also, because I have a degree in psychology and I'm a social scientist, and I'm interested in different cultures and different people, and I built my business around that. But then I uh, realized that I can combine that interest in people and culture with my interest in backpacking and, and going into really remote places. So I started to go into really remote places where I would find people such as, you know, the Inuit or Eskimo people up north or people living in Lapland or, or people living the, the – uh, Descendants of the Inca living up in the Andes Mountains, uh, Aborigines in the Australian outback, and on and on. And so uh, on some of my trips, what I do is I just plan a trip where I'll go and pick out a spot where they live, just point to a place on a map. And I just go and I show up, you know, and the people, they were going, who are you? Wow. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, where's the rest of your party? Why, why did you come here? You know, and I tell them that I'm interested in, in their culture and that before I left home, I did a lot of research. And so I'm aware of their history and their tradition and their religion and how they make a living and how they survive out there, what they eat for breakfast, everything. But I wanted to come and see it for myself. And they're like, so you came all the way out here just to see how we live? And I say, yeah. And I say, well, where are you coming from? I say, New York City. They go, what? <laughs> you coming from New York City? You know, I said, well, you know, I I'm just I'm just a curious guy with a credit card, you know, and so I, I decided to come up here. And once they hear that, you know, then they're like, you know, it's like, uh, wow, you know, somebody was that interested in, in who we are and how we live that he came all the way out here by himself. We didn't even know anybody. And so then they're really happy to to have you there and to have me there and to show me their lifestyle. And over the years, I, I've made some really good friends, you know, Native Americans, uh, First Nations people up in Canada, people all over the world who are living subsistence lifestyles or living uh, off the grid. 
And, you know, it's, it's in a way, it's kind of sad because everybody tells me the same thing. They always say, you know, our culture is really dying. The, the young people, they don't want to stay here. They don't want to learn the language. They don't want to learn the skills. They don't want to learn about our tradition. You know, as soon as they get old enough, they, they want to leave. So, you know, we're in a, in a situation where our culture is, is on a decline. And, and so it's, it's really cool to have somebody who's interested enough to come up here uh, with no ulterior motive, with no nothing except curiosity, and who's up here just to, just to see how we live. So it's great that I was able to combine those two, two things that I love and, and, and make trips like this. Incredible, man. So, so, so you, you've done you know, dozens and dozens of these trips, but you're, you're far from being over with these. What, what are some of the ones that really stick out to you for the future? What's some stuff on your bucket list that you're like, I, I cannot wait to get out there or meet these people or see that site? Yeah, well, uh, actually right now, I'm doing research on three trips. One is to uh, the Gobi Desert in Mongolia. The other one is to uh, Los Glaciares down in uh, uh, Argentina in, the, uh, in Patagonia. And the third one I'm, uh, I'm researching now is uh, in the high Atlas Mountains of Morocco, where the uh, Berber people live. And so I haven't decided which one or ones that I'm going to do yet. I'll certainly be doing at least one of them and hopefully um, two or maybe even three. It's a lot of fun doing the research. It's a lot easier than it was, you know, decades ago, because now we have, you know, the internet and you can get so much information. Um, I used to have to send, you know, snail mail letters out to, to different national parks and, and to send away and find out how to get topo maps from different countries. I used to have to uh, go to the library and look stuff up and go to museums and find out information. And so it was, it was more painstaking to, to put a trip together. Uh, now I can sit you know, right in front of my computer and get a lot of information, including trip reports from other people who have been there. I can download Topo Maps. It's a completely different thing now. Basically, you know, I, I look at a map of the world and I say, hmm, you know, where haven't you been lately? Man, that's so cool. Golly. It's just such a neat concept of how to live your life. Work your tail off. Build a business. Um, that allows you some freedom because, you know, I, I agree with you. You said this earlier, uh, starting your own business can feel like you're not really working for yourself, but you're working for the company, your business that you started. It's just very hard to have the discipline to say, no, I'm stopping myself for this week or these two weeks or over this weekend even and saying, I'm not going to do this. But man, if you if you got that discipline and you've got some other hobby that you can pour yourself into like this what a what a great life you know it's an to, to me it's an adventure to be in new york city so <laughs> you got it you got a year-round adventure in my opinion uh, well you know um it is tough to to break away or at least it used to be you know if you're running a business you feel kind of guilty when you when you're about to walk away from it you know especially if you're going to be gone uh for weeks at a time and you're not going to be able to be in touch with it, to, to talk to anybody, to see how things are going and make any decisions. You know, you, you say to yourself, wow, you know, uh, is this, you know, is this right? You know, somehow, you know, you feel a little like, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe something will happen while I'm gone and I should have been here. But, you know, I persevered. I said, you know what, if, if that's what happens, that's what happens, you know, but the last thing I want to do in life is to is to reach some some old age and to sit back and say, boy, you know, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that, and to regret, you know, opportunities that I had and didn't take because I I decided to just stay home and work. And so now, you know, I'm still in business here. My company is now 44 years old. It didn't go out of business. You know, I did. I had a great career, and and the coolest thing about it every year. I did at least one trip, one long trip. Uh, I also did a bunch of weekend trips still. I still do that. But I never let the, the pull of business keep me from, from doing what I love and just getting out into the fresh air and spending a couple of, uh, couple of weeks on my own. And, and so as a celebration of that lifestyle and of those stories and all your trips, uh, you decided to write a book about it. Could, could you just tell us about that, like what it contains? Um, because uh, I'd love for people mm -hmm. to read your story, man. Um, 
just a great way to build a life. Uh, yeah, and actually, um, it's actually a cool book, although it's easy for me to say that. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, so what I decided to do, uh, the book has nine chapters. I picked nine trips of, of all the trips that I've taken based on you know where I was. I wanted some geographic dispersion. I wanted trips in different parts of the world. Uh, there were a couple of trips in there where I was with uh, a friend, uh, most in Amar, solo. But it, it's kind of a cross-section of trips. And uh, it starts, and, I, and I, each of the chapters is its own story. It's got, a, it's got a theme. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so it's not about, you know, I woke up in the morning, I walked 13 miles, I made a camp by a river, I saw a full moon. You know, each chapter tells a story. Each chapter has its own, its own point of view about something. Uh, some of them are, are funny, some of them are tragic, some of them are, are uh, suspenseful, some of them are insightful. And what I did is I, I arranged them in chronological order. Uh, starting in 1966, and then the last chapter was just a couple of years ago, just before the book was published. And so as you read from one chapter to another, uh, you're not only getting an individual story for each of these trips, but you can begin to see other things as well. For example, you can begin to see how how I, as a 20-year-old in 1966, how I've changed and how my attitude towards backpacking has changed, how my experience has come into play. And, and how my, my appreciation of the outdoors and respect for the wilderness has, has developed. At the same time, you read these chapters and you see how backpacking has changed and how the wilderness has changed. And how, you know, when the ultralight philosophy came in and how technology like GPS and satellite phones, how that came in, how the different philosophies, you know, like leave no trace, how all that factored in. And so... In a sense, the book is, is, is a story about a city kid who spent his life uh, 50 years doing wilderness trips, but it's also a story of, of 50 years of the wilderness all around the world and where I was and what I saw and who I met and, and what I did. So uh, it's called uh, Way Out There, Adventures of a Wilderness Trekker. It's on sale at Amazon or any uh, bookstore that you want. And I, I'd also say that if anybody's interested, they can... Uh, go onto my website, which is jrinthewilderness.com. Uh, in addition to seeing a number of photos from all these trips and a list of all the trips that I did, um, there's more information about the book. In fact, uh, there's a synopsis, a summary of each of the chapters. Uh, there are some photos in there from those chapters that, that are not in the book. Uh, I'm happy to say the book is doing very well. It was published by Mountaineers Press out in um, Seattle. And uh, since it's been out there, I've been traveling around the country doing um, book signings and lectures. I, the other thing is that, that now that I'm where I am in terms of age and experience and what have you, uh, and I think back to how it was for me growing up in a working class family in a big city. And so what I've been doing now for the last few years is uh, going into some of the public schools here in New York City and some of the other cities around the country and talking to kids who you know, may not have the privileges and the the economic situation that a lot of other kids have. And I try to encourage them to still reach for their dream, you know, and to uh, to not be discouraged by, by how hard, you know, their life may seem and uh, to not let anybody discourage them or tell them that, that there's anything that they can't do. Uh, because I grew up that way. I was able to reach out and, and get what I wanted and, and live my dream. And so I, I would like for kids that grow up, you know, in the city that having it tough to know that, that, that there's a good life out there for them. You know, if they really want it and if they try hard enough, you know, that they can get it. And I, I do a little talk and, and talk is called, if I can do it, you can do it. And so that's kind of how I like to try to, I don't know, pay back or give back or pay it forward or whatever. Because the the wilderness and the outdoors and being out there has has really um, had a positive impact on me, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I I like to see other kids um, have that opportunity as well. So I don't care what race or color they are or whatever. Anybody that's out there that's struggling, um, I like them to know that uh, it can happen. 
that they should just hang tough and do what they have to do and believe that they can that they can reach for whatever heights they want to, to get to. Oh man, that's great advice. I was going to ask you uh, some for some parting words, but uh, I think you just gave them to me right there. <laughs> Mr. Harris, congratulations on on a life built um, pursuing something that uh, at first you did not want to do whatsoever. But thank God for parents that have yes. uh, a little more foresight than we do at 10, 12, 15 years old. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so happy my parents did that. Uh, it was really a life changer, you know, and uh, for for people who may not have parents or two parents or parents who know or to encourage their kids, you know, it, it's still open for them as well. If, if what I do or what I say in some small way can maybe change their perspective or change their attitude, then, um, you know, I, I can use this platform that, that writing a book has given me to go out there and, and try to talk to some kids about it because it's really worth it. You know, uh, again, you know, I'm living a dream and I've been doing it all these years and I'm, I'm so grateful that I, I can still do it. I would just, you know, I'd like to see other people have that same opportunity. Well, keep doing what you're doing, brother. Okay, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, man. This was this was fantastic. Well, I had a had a really pleasant time talking to you, Mason. Uh, thanks a lot for asking me these questions. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed it. Good, good. Well, stay warm. Enjoy yeah. your next trek. Yeah, you've got some good ones you've done, so I, I got to follow in your footsteps. Let's <laughs> do some of. Them. Okay, my man. Yeah, thanks again. It's really been great. I really enjoyed this. Good, good. Well, have a good day. Sounds great. Thanks a lot. Yes, sir. Right, have a good day. Yeah, yes, sir. See ya. Ciao. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.